Uh, I guess you could say we're in the middle of a series, uh, a three-part series, Christianity 101, going back to grow forward. And uh, they're kind of simple messages, some would say, simple topics. Last week, we talked about belonging, what it really means to belong. Um, this week, we are talking about what, is it, what does serving really look like, okay? And you, you just got a great example of that, of what serving looks like in one way. Well, my father-in-law, when he was alive, loved to do jigsaw puzzles. And I would remember that he would always be working on a puzzle. Because he loved to do jigsaw puzzles so much, he would often buy them secondhand because, you know, buying those really nice ones from the stores, after a while, they can get pretty expensive. And so he'd go to garage sales, he'd go to secondhand stores, places like that, and purchase some. But how many of you know that whenever you do that, you run the risk of one of the most ultimate experiences and frustration. Right? You're putting together the puzzle. You got 999 pieces done, and you're looking for that last one. And it's nowhere to be seen. It's not there. And when you're left like that with just one or two pieces missing, you can still see the overall picture of the puzzle, but somehow it's spoiled. It isn't complete. Its potential hasn't been fully realized, and isn't it true that one empty space stands out more than all the other pieces, no matter how colorful or how beautiful that picture may be? And church can be exactly like that. You probably figured out that's where I was going. When members are missing, And when I say missing, I'm not just talking about your physical presence in the building, but missing in terms of playing your part. When people are not locked into serving God in the church, it's noticeable. We lack something. The picture, no matter how good, is somehow incomplete. Now, you might say to yourself, well, if I'm not involved, who's going to notice? Look at this church. Well, the first person who comes to mind, who will always notice is, what's the right answer always? Jesus. Jesus will notice, all right? Whenever someone says, who notices something, you're probably always going to say, Jesus is the right answer, all right? He notices because the Bible says, if you recall, that he's the good shepherd. And it says that even when the 99 sheep are securely in the right place, he notices the one who is missing, now, when you look at it in the context of what the Bible's saying, of course, it means he's, he has come to save the one who is lost. But the principle is Jesus knows every sheep. And you can be sure he notices when you're missing an action. And so this morning, I want to talk about serving and what does it mean to really serve in the church. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do in some way, shape, or form, We're going to Romans chapter 12 and starting at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If serving, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love this part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. What a great passage. And there's a lot for us to consider this morning. So we're just going to jump right in. Because I've got four things that I want to talk about. So, number one. Our motivation to serve in the body of Christ is remembering. Look at the first verse of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Note the word, therefore, in that passage. And that's how he starts this chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, and that was an old thing, sorry, there was an old thing in Sunday school that I remember being taught. And you may have heard it and been taught it as well. Whenever you see a therefore, look what it's there for. Whenever you see that word therefore, it means that he's been saying something before that. That's important. The word therefore here links what Paul is saying in this chapter with what he's already said in the previous 11 chapters. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If you want to translate that literally, it's in view of the mercies of God. In the previous 11 chapters of of Romans, all all the way up to chapter 11, Paul has been outlining the doctrines of grace. All that we've been given as Christians is by God's grace. Everything we've received is by the mercies of God. And so let me very quickly tell you what Paul has listed as mercies of God. Because we're not going to read the whole 11 chapters, otherwise you will kill me. So in the previous 11 chapters, he talked about justification. That we've been justified because we put our faith in Jesus. It's just as if we've never sinned. We're right before God and we can come into his presence. Unlike what the priests in the Old Testament could do. Identification. No longer are we considered the children of Adam who fell, but we are children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are under grace, not under law. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he talks about that in Romans chapter 8, about the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks about how we have help in every weakness by the Spirit's power. We also have divine election. God has chosen us. He's come and pulled us out of our sin into such, with such great grace. We have coming glory, which is beyond comparison with any trouble we might go through in this present life. 
We have no possible separation from Jesus' love. Nothing can ever take us out of the love of God. And that's our privilege. And finally, we have confidence in God's faithfulness. He will never fail us. And I know we sing that. Look at all of these. All of these things are in the first 11 chapters. All the mercies of God. And Paul says, look at these things. Look at these mercies, that gr- the grace that God has lavished on us in Christ. And in view of these things, keep these things always before you. I implore you that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so no wonder he says, it is your reasonable service. It is your act of service. It's only right that we give ourselves to serve God when we remember all that he's done for us. And so what does God want? Well, Paul tells us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Did you ever stop to think about those two words, living sacrifice? See, Paul lived at a time when the idea of sacrifices was very common. He grew up as a Jewish boy in a culture where the religious life revolved around the offering of sacrifices. They would go up to the temple and they would bring their lambs and oxen, their turtle doves and other things as sacrifices to God. And Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome And there were Jewish people in that church at Rome, and they'd grown up in the same culture as Paul. And so they knew what it meant to be surrounded by sacrifice. Even the Romans themselves, who were not Jewish and didn't have the same religious system, they understood Paul's language too. Because before they converted to Christianity, they no doubt were involved in offering sacrifices to their pagan gods. This was, a, this was common in the first century in all of the religious systems, including the Roman religion, that they offered sacrifices. However, while the language of sacrifices was not new to them, the idea of a living sacrifice is a brand new idea. Because the one thing common in all sacrifices, in all religions, is that the sacrifice lies dead on the altar. But what Paul is talking about, he's talking about a living sacrifice. Well, God says he has a purpose for you, for me, in living our lives and being living sacrifices to him and for him. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus did the dying for us so that we could do the living for him. Jesus did the dying for me so that I could do the living for him. And this is our great motivation to serve him and to serve in the church today. That he has set us in. To serve remembering all the mercies that God has purchased and poured into our lives so wonderfully. And that's the motivation to serve, remembering all those things. Secondly, the ability to serve is because, again, of God, it's God's gifting. God has gifted us. You look at Romans 12, and if you scan from verses 3 down to 8, you can see all about some of the gifts that are present in the body of Christ. You can find these gifts in every congregation on earth because God has given them to people so wonderfully. We were talking about doing the jigsaw puzzles. Have you ever tried doing a jigsaw puzzle with a small child? And I'm not talking about one of those 
ones with just four pieces, all right? Not one of those. I'm talking about an adult-sized jigsaw puzzle, and some young child comes in and sits next to you and wants to join in. If it's a difficult puzzle, you'll quickly see them start to get frustrated. And it can be really funny to watch a young child trying to take a piece and make it fit where it obviously doesn't belong. They'll turn it this way. They'll turn it that way. They'll bang it in like, I'm just going to make it fit. They're determined to do that even when it doesn't fit. And again, all too often, that's how it is in the church. Certain members can be sure, certain members sometimes can be sure that such and such a role in the church is for them. And they're determined to make themselves fit that ministry. But you can see they don't quite fit. And they can never feel fully comfortable there either because it's always a great stretch for them. They don't really have the ability for it. Well, here's the wonderful news for all of us from Romans chapter 12. There is a place and a vital role for every single member, for you, for me. The place that God intends you to fill, a place where you can be fruitful and reach your potential of doing all that God has called you to do with your life. Imagine a church led by people with leadership gifts, taught by people with teaching gifts, administered by people with administration gifts, and on and on and on. Everyone in their place. How strong would a church like that be? Well, you know, that's exactly what God intends. Sometimes, though, especially in the early days when a church has started up, they don't have a naturally gifted person for a role. And so sometimes someone has to step in humbly and do their best until someone comes along. And I'm sure God God will give an extra grace for that. So I'm not saying you could never, ever fulfill a role outside of your gifting. God can do that. He can use you. But ultimately, Romans 12 tells us that God wants the whole body to play their part in according to how he's gifted us. To get to that point, look at what it says here in verse 3. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is a very important verse. Paul gives three directives in verse 3 so that we will rightly think about ourselves. Because there are three great blockages to us, really never, uh, there are three great blockages to us really finding our place of effectiveness and fruitfulness in the church. So let me give them to you quickly. Blockage number one is pride. This will block the church in its pursuit to see people serving in their giftings. And Paul addresses this. He says, although we just kind of read it, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. See those last few words. All right? We need to come to the task of serving in the body with humility. We need to come at this without being puffed up with pride. Giftings and abilities do have that possibility that they can puff us up with pride. Look how good I am. Look what I can do. I'm awesome at this. And God says, don't let that happen. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Blockage number two is immaturity. The second blockage that stops us is that. 
Because he says something else. He says, think, look at what it says here in verse 3. Right after he says, don't think more highly of yourself. He says, but to think with sober judgment. The word sober means with restraint, with self-control, with sanity. Some people want to think they can do everything, that they should be doing everything. They end up living driven lives, and that's a mark of immaturity. There's no shame in admitting that we are not gifted in some area and finding someone else who is to stand alongside us. So pride will block us. Immaturity immaturity will block us. And the third thing that will block us is inferiority. This is kind of the flip side, or if you want to say the other extreme to pride. Paul says you should approach these things not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think with sober judgment. Now look at these next things that he says. According to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Serving the Lord in your gifts is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting him, being dependent upon him. Some people walk around kind of with their shoulders slumped down and saying, I'm nothing. I got nothing to offer. I can't do anything. It's a point. You know, do you know that can just be kind of like false humility? More so, it can be inferiority. Listen to me this morning, church. Whoever you are today, you are someone in Christ. It's not about you being filled with pride. You know, look at me, what I can do. In Christ, you have all the power and strength to fulfill a great purpose with your life. Stand tall, not with pride, but stand tall and say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. He can work in you and he will work through you. So three things that will block us from serving in the body. Pride, immaturity, and inferiority. Right here in verse 3. And what Paul then gives us is a list in the body of Christ. as a list of gifts in the body of Christ. And it's, it's an ex, extra, extraordinary list of things. These gifts in Romans 12 apply to everyone here. You look across the sanctuary this morning, they apply to everyone here. There's not one exemption clause. You have one of these gifts. You may have more, but you have every one. Because Romans 12, 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then from verse 6 down to verse 8, he lists the seven gifts. These seven gifts are what we call the motivational gifts from the Father. These are gifts that are resident in every believer. And as I said, everyone has at least one of these gifts. Some people have more than one, but everyone has at least one of these seven gifts, and you can look into your life and you can find them. Why do we call them the motivational gifts? Simply because they are gifts that kind of motivate the way we live and the way we like to serve and the things we like to do in life. They're motivational gifts and they come from God the Father because you were born with them. And I believe that you can even see some of these giftings in people who aren't even believers yet. You can see the certain giftings in their life. And they're in this list because God is, a, is lovingly, as a father, given all people these wonderful gifts. 
So here they are. I'm going to go through these gifts really quick. All right. The first gift that he mentions is prophecy. Now we have to be careful here. Because the Greek word for prophecy is prophetaeus. Sounds like prophetess, right? Prophetaeus. And it can actually have three different meanings. It can be the, a prediction of the future, which is foretelling. It can be a preaching, it can be preaching God's message, which is forthtelling, which is declaring. And thirdly, it can be, can talk about a spontaneous message inspired by God, as you read about in 1 Corinthians 12. All are called prophetaeus, prophecy. And what determines which one is being referred to is the context that it's in. In Romans 12, looking at these characteristics on this gift list, the motivations that are in every person, clearly the word here that we're looking at for prophecy means forth-telling. It means preaching. It means standing up and declaring God's word. And let me give you a definition for this. The capacity to proclaim God's truth with a powerful effect upon the hearers. It can be studied, it can be prepared, it can be a person pouring over the word of God and coming together. This is someone who gets up, prepared, and delivers God's word. And we have many examples of that in the Bible, of people standing up and preaching. You look at Peter, look how he changed overnight. When he stood up and began to declare, you know, he always had that ability, I believe. But it was now God by the Holy Spirit who was bringing them that out of him. And as he stood up and preached on the day of Pentecost, we see that. You'll see many other occasions where people stood up and preached God's word in the book of Acts. If you have that gift in you, if it burns in you to hold forth, to speak with truth and to speak for God, then preach. Not arrogantly, but confidently. Speak up and speak out for the Lord. But let me say this. You don't need a pulpit on a Sunday morning to do that. I believe there are people right across the body of Christ who have the ability to engage others to speak out with truth in many different settings. You know, we have a whole thing called apologetics, right? That's that. If God has put this gift in your life, you can speak up for God and do that. Do it. The world needs that. The church needs that. Number two, the gift of ministry. Sometimes this is called the gift of serving or the gift of helps. Here's the definition. The capacity to see practical needs and to meet those needs, there is, this is the gift that ensures we don't have too many bosses and not enough workers where everyone's trying to be in charge. See, the gift of ministry is to come and do the work. A wonderful example of that in the New Testament is seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom in the book of Acts, chapter 6, including Stephen and Philip. These seven men were set aside to oversee what some would say are the mundane things of the church, things that are so important, though. Caring for people, looking after various needs, things like that. That's a gift of ministry, to serve and to help. People who set up things, and are there all the time. They're ushering. They're the welcome team and doing other things, coffee crew, things like that. 
And this is not a gift to be overlooked because it's so vitally important. Listen, if you have the gift of ministry, the gift of serving, how you need to play that, that, that vital role in the church today. You may never get a lot of accolades for it, but do it joyfully as unto the Lord because it is seen by God and the commendation from him will be worth it when he says, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. So we need those with the, with the gift of ministry to be doing their part. Number three, the gift of teaching or instructing. Let me define it. The capacity to instruct others in the truth through clear explanation and application of God's word. In the New Testament, you think about the wonderful couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And when the great preacher Apollos came preaching, he was marvelous. But he had a few things that weren't quite right yet. His doctrine wasn't all that it should have been. And when they first heard him preaching, they were like, "Eh, something's wrong here. It says that Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and showed him more perfectly the way of salvation. He learned from those teachers in the body and was then able to go out and exercise his gift, his ministry. If you have the gift of teaching, play your part. We have so many ministries and classes where we need people to teach others from God's word. Blast Kids needs people. Christian Ed, Wednesday Connection Groups are some. So you can start off by using discussion questions if you kind of don't feel up to it, using your own stuff to start. But, but as you grow into it, God will use you to teach the Bible. Number four, exhortation. Another word you could use here is encouragement. How many of you love a word of encouragement? Well, only a few of you. Good thing. Boy. How many of you think that we, how many of you think we have too many encouragers in the church? Okay, I guess there's that. We can never have too many encouragers. This is the capacity to come alongside others with encouragement, comfort, or gentle rebuke, and motivate them to move forward. Do you know what the word for exhortation here is? It's the word, you didn't realize you were getting Greek today, did you? Parakaleo, all right? Parakaleo. The Holy Spirit, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, parakletos. It's the same root word. It's the person who comes alongside to encourage people forward, correcting where necessary, but moving them forward in their calling. A great example of that in the Bible is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because that's what he did. He was responsible for restoring people to ministry who otherwise would have been lost. He's an amazing man, and you can read about his story in the book of Acts. And that's exhortation. The next one is giving, contributing. Never one that topic people like to hear about. But it's the capacity to joyfully give resources to meet needs and advance the cause of the kingdom, sometimes coupled with a special ability to get a lot of resources. That's the definition. And you may know some people who have been blessed and they're kind of entrepreneurs and they're able to generate that. 
The Bible says that it's God who gives us the ability to give, get, to get wealth. And there's some people who have that ability, and then it's coupled with this gift of giving to be able to resource them, to resource others, to help others out. Barnabas is another good example of this. He was a great giver. He led the way in giving in the early church in a marvelous way. And if you have the gift of giving today, checks can be made out to Cedarview Community Church, or they can be made out to Chris Mix. That's just another great charity as well. Seriously, though, some things in the kingdom just might not get done until you resource them. Go out, work hard, generate it, worshipfully bring it to the Lord. Find some needs and meet them. You might look at a brother or sister in need, you might, and you might meet that need anonymously, spontaneously, because you've got the gift of giving, and you just want to help others. And it's an important gift in the body. We should all be givers, by the way, as we should all be encouragers, but some have a special capacity for it. So another gift is the gift of leadership or administration. The capacity to plan a course of action, then influence people and organize resources to accomplish the plan. A great example is the Apostle Paul, amazing leader in the church, the early church. How he set structure in church after church after church. And he went from one to the other, and when he left them, they were healthy churches. They didn't always remain that way when he left them. They were, when he left them, they were in good shape, and sometimes he had to circle back and help them again, kind of knock them upside the head with a two-by-four, so to speak. Because he had the gift of leadership. And if you have the gift of leadership, please lead something. Come and use that gift for God's glory. Ask the Lord. Maybe you need to lead a new ministry. Maybe God's put that on your heart. Finally, one more gift, the gift of mercy. That is compassion, comforting. The capacity to bring consolation and healing to the hurting. Jesus' story is a wonderful picture of this the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. How that one man had such mercy. Others should have gone to the dying man, but his heart was moved. Even though he was very different, he was cross-culture to that dying man, he didn't let it stop him. He went with God's mercy and bound up his wounds and cared for him. And that's the gift of mercy. There are so many hurting people today. And if you have the gift of mercy... Don't hold back. Sometimes it's a tough job. Sometimes it's wearing. But we need that gift in the body. Again, we all need to show mercy. We should all be merciful for that. But for some, it's how you're wired to be just merciful. So the motivational gifts here in Romans chapter 12, that's them. Now to use the word differently... The motivation to serve, all of us, no matter what gifts we have, the motivation to serve is that we remember all that God has done for us. We look back, we remember, and that should spur us on to serve. What spurs you on to serve today? See, the ability to serve is our gifting. And God wants to use you. And he has given you at least one gift. 
If you look closely in your life, you will see that. Number three is a way to serve. And there is only one way to serve, and that is lovingly. The way to serve is in love. Let me read a couple of verses as we continue in the passage, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is how we serve. Love has to be the guiding factor in all that we do now that we're Christians. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says that the love of Christ constrains or controls us. It's the impelling drive for the way that we act. God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts so that we can meet the needs of others. And when you get to the great chapters in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where it talks about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the incredible power gifts that are mentioned there, notice that right between those two chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul spends a whole chapter talking about on the excellence of love, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's become one of the best loved chapters in the Bible because it's a, of its beautiful description of love. But it's important to see where that chapter is placed. See, Paul is teaching how the Pentecostal church is to function in the power and dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And it's got to be in love. He says you've got to come with God's power and God's help and amazing things can happen. But it can all just be a show, a sounding gong and clashing cymbals unless it's all born out of love. We must all have the gifts of the body motivated by the love of Christ. See what Paul says in verse 9? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. When you love your church, you don't want to see anything coming in to injure or confuse people. And you will have a desire to serve. You'll want to use your gifts to help the church. Not to be applauded, but just so people will be blessed. And so the church will be made strong. In verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And this denotes tender affection. Like in a family. Not a dysfunctional family, but a loving one. And that's how we're to serve one another, with brotherly or kindly affection. And we show mutual and loving respect and honor to each other as we give preference to one another, not trying to outdo one another. Finally, number four, the urgency to serve. And that is watching. If you continue to read this passage in, first, in verses 11 and 12, Paul talks about rejoicing in hope as we serve and have endurance in trials. The great hope that Christians have to rejoice in is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, sh- I'm sure that that's what Paul is referring to. Rejoicing in hope and enduring in tribulation. That's how we serve. We're always looking to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Now, I think Paul alludes to it, but Peter fleshes it out in terms of the gifts in the body of Christ in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. He says, The end of all things is at hand. 
Peter said that centuries ago because Jesus was ascended into heaven. His coming could be at any moment, Peter's saying. The early church lived in the expectation of Jesus' return. Nowadays, not so much. But if Peter said it back then, isn't it more at hand now? Look at the signs of his coming all around us. The end of all things is at hand, he said. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean love makes excuses for sins. It means when a brother sins against us, our love will see beyond it and cover over it so that we can continue forward. That's what we need in the body. Verse 9. Showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And everyone said, right? All of this is in the context of watching because Jesus is coming. That's Peter's thrust in this letter and in that passage, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be ready. We need to be expecting it, church. Preachers in the 50s and the 60s, 70s, they were preaching all about it. And then somewhere along the way, we kind of went, yeah, it's just not happening. 1988, there was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Out in 1980, was coming back in 1988. It was followed by a sequel, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1989. These are real books. Obviously, that didn't happen. We do not know the day or the hour that he's coming back, but we should have an expectancy for when he is, and we shall serve him, expecting him to come before the end of this message. Some of you are saying, yes, please come now, Lord, come now. But let me close literally two minutes with four very quick applications for us all. Serve, church, serve. Every person, find a way to serve. There's no one who's being overlooked in this call in Romans 12. Serve. What could you be most passionate about in the church's work? either to minister to the body or minister from the body outwards. Next week, we're going to be talking about sending. Where could you use the spiritual gifts that are evident in your life? Number two, serve with humility. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, that we all, we are to have the same mind as Jesus Christ when he came from the glory of heaven to wash people's feet and to give himself even to the point of death. Could you wash someone's feet as an act of humility? If not, why not? Are you too full of pride? Is that just something like, if Jesus can do it, we're to have the same mind as Jesus. We're to be servants. Thirdly, serve with gladness. Don't be begrudgingly, but serve with gladness. Psalm 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness. 
we would love for everyone to serve. But if you can only serve as a grouch, and you're like, eh, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it because he said so. Don't serve. Well, God doesn't want that. He wants us all to serve with gladness. Number four, encourage others to serve. Let's exhort each other. Let's encourage someone else. Say, hey, where are you going to volunteer this fall? There's a board out there called the Ministry Opportunity Board. Take a look at it. There are ministries there that are looking for help. If it's not there and there's a ministry you want, go ask. You know who needs help? Over in this hallway, there's three rooms, room 102, 103, and 101. The nursery. Tammy can use help in there. Where are you going to volunteer? For those who've been serving for a while, take somebody under your wing, mentor them. Teens, young adults, this applies to you as well. Get involved. Talk to Pastor Tom about production if that's something that you have a passion for. He can always use people there. They'll train you. You don't go into this with nothing. We will train you. We will help you. We will walk alongside you. But serve, church. Find a ministry. You're going to hear more and more ministries asking for help over the next couple of weeks. You're going to hear two this morning during announcements. Get involved. Being a seat warmer is not who God has called you to be. He's called you into ministry. So let's do it, church. Let us grow. Let us be encouraging one another. And let us see the power of God move through this church and through us as we minister to others. Let's pray.